The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. It is that time again, back on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network, your host Jay, at the Brewing Network Studios in downtown Concord. I can't believe I still have to read this off the sheet. Gets me in the flow, though, you know. Uh, here with Scott. Hey, Scott. What's up, dude? Man, you're looking so dapper. New glasses. No, 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 no. Don't even really need these. It's all for looks. I, yeah, that's that's why I commented on your looks and not your improved eyesight. You're yeah, no, dapper. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for... <laughs> <laughs> Throwing that at the top. Uh, Bevo, no Bevo. No. We kind of moved around the uh, schedule. That's my fault. And big thanks to our, I'll just skip ahead one thing. Uh, we're doing listener beer on tonight's show, uh, Q&A as well. And I just want to thank all the, the listeners who uh, got the schedule changed on them at the last minute just yesterday. And thank you, Scott, for uh, just moving everything around that. I really appreciate that. No again, problem. That's, that's all me. That's my bet. But, uh, yeah, Bevo's not here because she's at... NHC? Yes, indeed. Is that right? Yeah. Any word back for from how that's going? It was very loud. I spoke to her on the phone a minute ago, and she could barely hear me. So it's <laughs> a loud atmosphere must be fun, right? Seems where are fun. you? Your ballpark convention? The land of 10,000 lakes. That's where they are. That's right. We know because we've been promoting it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. That was like my best joke yet. <laughs> Tons of laughs here in the studio. Well, I laughed last Moscow's show. Moscow blocked them all out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you made the same joke last show, and I got all the laughs out then. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> The left track button is broken. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, Q and A, we've got uh, a couple of a couple of Justins joining us, and uh, we've also got Lane back in the studio. Thanks for being here, Lane. Yeah, thanks for letting me invite myself back for oh, the yeah, second time. I appreciate it. No problem. The beers were so good the first time around; we just had to get an update. So uh, that was the reason. Happy to have you here, and thanks again for uh, coming on short notice on a different time. Uh, if you guys want to get involved just like uh these listeners have and uh you know talk about beers and send us beers and just be more interactive with this show as opposed to just throwing it on on the commute on the on the podcast we love every time uh listeners get involved and it makes us makes it a lot more fun for us and we've gotten good feedback on the the interactive stuff so maybe you're that uh that home brewer who you know for one reason or another has not sent an email in or called in or you know maybe you got this beer uh burning a hole in your cellar and you want to get an opinion on it we're we're down we're here so uh get involved uh on this show contact us 888-401-BEER you can join us in the chat send us feedback via email scott at the brewing network.com or jay at the brewing network.com uh you can watch us just in time we got that just got that up Thank goodness. Yeah, and thank Bebo. <laughs> TheBrewingNetwork.com slash TV. Uh, you can also listen live to the Brewing Network app. Just search BN Mobile on your app store, whatever device you have. And also, as always, we ask you to subscribe and leave feedback on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. The view of the week. <laughs> 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 You're really rushing to get the... 
the drop ready, I guess. Yeah, and we should re Well, the many times we've re-recorded it, none of them have been quite as good as this original because it's we, now it's, we've tried to re-record that. Well, you've done you can't a couple re-record of that. Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> I, mean, remember, I don't remember doing it the first time. So <laughs> we did some extra takes, but I think we decided it's review really? of the Fortnite. First off, I don't remember doing multiple takes, but my, you know, maybe that's just my memory. I'll give you a clean Fortnite take, and then just drop it in. You know, okay. edit it. So instead of a week, so I'll give it to you right now. You ready? Yeah, go. Fortnite. Oh Pass no, clean. the review of the Fortnite. Oh, I thought you were just going to cover week. I can. You can't. It's I mean, sound review weird. of the. Well, that, it's, I think it's supposed to sound weird. review of the week. Review of the week, and then it's just pause. Yeah. Fortnite. Unpause, and then it goes. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay, fine. We'll do yeah. that. Anyway, the review of the <laughs> <laughs> sure good splice it in. Good talk. Yeah, <laughs> review of the Fortnite is from Adam K K K K K K K K K K K, who says before oh, I no. started listening. Here you can see it. Before I started listening to this podcast, I made good beer, but I wanted to get to the next level. After listening to this podcast and taking its advice, my beers have definitely changed. They are all sour and taste infected. I can't. I can't believe I bothered listening to the second. Terrible advice. It's kind of all over the place, but that's the review of the Fortnite from Adam. K-K-K-K-K-K-K. Oh, geez. Yeah. Let's move past that. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Adam. And, yeah, even though, you know, I agree with you completely about the session, still, you know, throw them a bone. Listen to the other Brewing Network shows like the session, Brewing with Style, Dr. Homebrew, Brew Strong, all that. All that good jazz. Scott, I see you poured some beer for us already what's yeah man. what's going on here? speaking of good jazz another uh, awesome care package generously sent in by the collective brewing project out of texas fort worth yes fort worth texas they sent in a, a few different flavors this one is a petite golden sour and i kind of poured it for you guys right before we went on, on air here and yeah. didn't really describe what's in it and you picked out some of the some unique stuff in here yeah we did uh start to try it and i just had a very familiar it was it, the beer had a very familiar aroma and taste to me and uh it did take me a while to place it but i did call thai basil and mm-hmm. that was uh that was correct we made a lot of uh a Thai basil beer for our uh, summer, summer seasonal when I was at the brewery called uh, Trade Winds Triple. And uh, as I was telling Lane uh, before we started the show, that was always kind of the best day to brew because it just smelled really good in the brewery. Yeah, because, it smells like a Thai restaurant. Damn right. Yeah, we're just like, even even just because the basil just made, reminds me of pasta and stuff like that. Sure. I got super hungry. And, you know, the beer hits the Whirlpool. We put the Thai basil in, or maybe I think it was a Whirlpool edition, but... Uh, Put the Thai basil in, and it's like it's right around lunchtime. So it's like kind of good, but kind of terrible. Yeah, (laughs) I was just like starving at that point. But it's really well done in this, and uh, that acidity in there really balances well. That's probably where the the Thai comparison is a little bit closer than you know the Italian. I feel like a lot of Thai food, you know, has has a nice acid content to it, and uh, but I feel like Thai basil is very unique compared to regular i'd say uh, so definitely i mean it's very specific aroma and flavor that i don't think you can mistake that easily with just regular italian basil yep that's true and then uh you also get a lot i'd be curious to know uh and maybe i don't know if they emailed they probably emailed you uh about this but not this information won't be in there but if they're listening and they email back i'd be curious as to how they treat the uh the flowers because that was a big deal for us at the brewery so we'd you know, I, I believe uh, Patrick grew it in, at his house, mm. if I'm not mistaken, um, down in Orange County. 
and he would bring them in until the beer got too big for us to do I was that. I say, think it's um, large it was the early, early days. So, yeah. uh, and the the basil leaves weren't you know too big of an issue, but you you want the uh, the flowers on there because if you go smell a leaf, it's like okay, I can smell that. The flower is what's super fragrant. It's like that's where you get. 80 90 percent of the aroma from and it's just like it's it's pretty amazing totally so, were, you, were you not worried about picking up any tannins or anything from the flower that you wouldn't normally get from just a leaf maybe maybe we were uh but the, <laughs> at that point i was uh you know shift brewer so and right. you know, the, uh my old boss patrick and uh tyler king they were they were really like the ones driving the recipe development on that so i'm sure it was a discussion at some point and we would always try to like manipulate what times and temperatures and stuff to kind of, you know, it's kind of like I miss I miss uh, shift brewing because it'd be like you brew one batch the first day and then, hey, guess what? You're going to come back and brew the exact same thing and put a lot of flavor in there up front. You can it's that instant satisfaction right. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a long day, you know, right. working at a, at a on a brew house. But, you know, I guess I'm just like so used to sour beer now and making cold side manipulation. It's like, OK, well, we'll try this a little different next year. <laughs> Instead of like coming in tomorrow and be like, oh, I wonder if we push this to a, you know, five minutes left in the whirlpool versus ten minutes or something yeah. like that. Speed up better. the iterations to dial it in better, I would assume. Yeah, definitely. You know, and it's just another another plug for you know just brew more. You know, I think that's something uh, Jamil would always talk about on some of his old shows. Just you know, just brew more. It's going to make you better. And make mistakes. You know, that's okay. You can dump beer down the drain. Not a problem. All right. So what have we done so far? We are starting to drink beer. Yeah. That's correct. Oh, so just, yeah, just to, to round it out, just uh, thanks, Dave, and the guys at the Collective Brewing Project. Yeah, go check them out. If this beer is any indication, that, you know, I think it's, it's very, very good. It's pretty cool label, too. I like that. Uh, yep. Everything is cool. The the branding, the nice, clean acidity with the, the beer. And just as I've said, every time we get beer in here, what do I say? How high the bar is. Everything we get, pretty much. When's the last time we got a stinker? Um. Yeah, I wouldn't even say like stinker. Maybe one would be slightly off or something like that. It's really been impressive, and you know, I would, I you know, going back, I feel like I'm talking about the past a lot today. But uh, you know, coming up on brewing network shows and stuff like that, you know, I always wonder like, okay, these are the beers you guys are tasting. Like, I wonder how close the beers are to like how they're talking about it, kind of thing, and. Now, like being in in the chair and doing it, it's like we're you know we're telling it like it is. This is what the beers are like, and I think we have been overwhelmingly positive in mm-hmm. our um, evaluations of a lot of beers. But that's not like a put on. <laughs> it's actually like maybe it's a self selecting crowd. People are sending us like some of the best. But as you've mentioned before, Scott, you kind of have uh, teased out the idea of maybe having a bad beer show mm-hmm. and kind of on purpose talking about like. Hey, this is a beer that I screwed up, and I really don't know why. Which I think is important. I have to like bring a full tub of tums, but and maybe take the next <laughs> yeah. day off or something, and have a medic on site. But <laughs> you know, it's like I think it's important to not just talk about the good and best practices and all that stuff because it takes a while to get there. You know, you have to yeah. fail a lot Definitely. to get to that point. I certainly did for sure. Well, I remember even just going back to the very beginning, one of the first episodes we ever did, I remember having um, Roberto from Hop Tech yeah. in here with some of his sour beers and a couple of them were fruited and he had been aging them for a while at that time already. They were already a year old and I remember them being 
they were not outstanding, right? They had some muddiness, they had some off flavors, and I yeah, was not shy. Was very, it was very young. As he has also used uh, Rare Barrel Cultures, if I recall correctly. That's right. Yes, yeah. he was. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> Quick he, plug, plug for the Rare Barrel. And her- Heretic <laughs> Cultures as well, I yep. believe. And, mm-hmm. uh, and But anyway, the point is, we were not shy about no. seeing how we, what we w- really thought about the beer, you know. Even though Roberto was in here with us and we liked the guy, you know, the, it's more important to tell the truth and get... You know the best practices out there. You know what could what could he have done better? That's the, ultimately that stuff is probably actually even more helpful than all the the smoke blowing. Can be, know? and then but the one maybe just frustrating part about sour beer is kind of like the boy. I don't know what's wrong with this, but there's something I don't like about it, and I, you know, I can speculate. There's a lot of that. I mean, we do even do that at the rare barrel. It's like, why don't I like this barrel? It's like there's just. It's hard to even we talk about like we have crazy descriptors and we talk about process and speculate. But even then, like there's still stuff that comes up where it's just like, I don't even know where to begin to describe this. And it takes me like a few weeks to like taste it over and over and say, oh, okay, this is what this reminds me of. Yeah. Yeah. And especially trying to identify some sort of process or, you know, recipe change that caused it to, you know for you not to like it yeah I, th- I think that's tough too because i mean if you have two barrels exact same process exact same bugs exact same work and they're totally different and you don't like one and you really like the other i can see how that would be yeah extremely frustrating i mean yeah. i mean I, I mean i think that's what sour beer burn is kind of about as well is you know there's a little bit of luck involved and there's chance and you know things happen a certain way and turn out that way and then that's great but when they don't it's hard to nail down exactly what went wrong yeah, definitely. I mean, we talk about a lot just the, the balance of the science and the romance, and there, there's a negative to both of those, too. You can be frustrated by not having a clear scientific explanation for why something's gone wrong. And, you know, the romance is the same thing. It's like, oh, I, you know, I thought this, like, authentic way to make the beer was going to really be the way to go. And then, you know, it can always fail you. So just about getting the getting the reps in. You yeah. All righty. So uh, OEC? On the last show? Oh, yeah. They did a great job. If you guys have not uh, listened to that, that's in your uh, podcast queue. A couple of just brief things since the last show. Uh, we had uh, Lauren Salazar out, actually, for a brief visit at the Rare Barrel. We're continuing to work on her her beer that is uh, part of our On the Shoulders of Giants series. So we've done one previously, and that was with uh, Pete Slosberg, our uh, dear friend, and uh, you know certainly a giant in the brewing community for those maybe who don't know or are not old enough he uh had pete's wicked ale back in the day i think in the early mid 90s i think it was the third largest craft brewery at that time in the united states it was around into the later 90s too i can remember my dad having them in the fridge absolutely right next, right next to the coronas and pizza local so he uh, lives here in the bay area and he's uh he's around a lot of the beer scene quite a bit and he was just instrumental in us starting up and uh you know, really believed in us and kind of put us in touch with the right people. And, you know, so he, he really supported us with, I don't know what real reason to, but, uh, <laughs> we, that was a, that was a great, great beer and great story behind that. And, uh, we're working on Lauren's as well. So just wanted to mention that that was, that was a thrill to have Lauren back. And, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're almost to the point where we, she can book a yearly trip out here nice. for, for what we're just, we're just going to keep making excuses to bring her out. Not enough time to get her on the pod, but, uh, 
but enough time to, to hang out. She and uh, Alex and your crew went to, I think it was her first ever Firestone Invitational, right? Yep, and that's neither, right. Neither you or I could go, unfortunately, but they did, and it looked like they had a great time. That festival is always awesome. Yeah, I wouldn't have a recap of that, but yeah. I was not there, but I mean. Uh, I, here, let me <clears> recap it. Uh, it was hot. All the beers were stellar. Company was great, and uh, Firestone killed it at the Brewers Camp. Yep, nice. and and the <laughs> RV, the RV parties, yeah, Brewing Network, parties. Rare Barrel, you know, got society in there. All the brewers bring their bring their A game to the Brewers Camp too. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, good beer being shared and good friend scene and all that stuff. So uh, I'm hoping to go again next year because it's just an amazing festival. So we thank them again for the invitation. A couple of other things I just want to mention. This is kind of Rare Barrel related, and I don't think I mentioned this stuff that often, but so I wanted to just remind people, if you were interested in getting some your hands on some Rare Barrel beer and you haven't yet, we are starting to do this online bottle access selling of our beer. So basically how this works is you can go, I'm pretty sure just right now, on our website, and we have two bottles currently available, Home Sour Home, one of our kind of biggest, most popular brands. Fabulous beer. And uh, another one we're really proud of called Across the Sea, which is a barrel-aged golden sour, but with goza ingredients. So it's with sea salt and coriander, but the result of a beer that's been barrel-aged for a long time. I got to say, these are two of the beers that we've made in the last year that I'm most proud of, happy with, and just would drink straight up on a regular basis. So I think it's a good opportunity, so I wanted to mention it. Just go on our website, therarebarrel.com. I should remember that. And uh, if you're not interested in that, oh, I should say, so people can go online and buy that, and we can ship legally anywhere inside of California. If you're outside of California, you can still buy the beer, but you'll have to ship it to, like, someone you know, your aunt, your college roommate who lives in California. If you're interested in kind of going bigger than that, this is a little early, but since it's podcast and people listen to this a little late, I'll mention it on this show, is that we are going to start our, you know, new club re-enrollment, which we do every fall, so... Keep an eye if you follow us on social media. There's a, a newsletter to sign up for as well um, if you're into that. But that'll roll around September, October-ish. Just a few quick reminders there if you want to try out some of our beers and you know kind of talk about or just be able to relate a flavor to the techniques we talk about. That's kind of the cool part about this show today is like we're going to have people either in person or on the phone and really to have that connection between the process, the person, and the beer is is a powerful thing, and it just makes it so much of a, a richer experience, whether, you know, good or bad. So, you know, you hear us blabber about a lot of these beers all the time, so this this is a chance for you to, to try it out if you're so inclined. Let me just tell you, for your own edification, yeah. rarebarrel.com redirects to your webpage. So yeah. If you omit the thumb, it's okay. Rarebarrel.com. I, I bought that. <laughs> that was maybe the last sales and marketing thing I did, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah that was... January or February 2012. Wow. Bought both. Damn. Maybe eventually it'll be like Facebook, where it was the Facebook.com, <laughs> and then he just goes yeah. to Facebook and you just have to accept it, right? I referenced this on the yeah. last show. Did it on the last show? Or, or two shows ago recently. In the movie, Social Network, written by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Justin Timberlake's character uh, has this dramatic pause, you know, at this high powered, like, sushi restaurant where he turns as, on his way out and he's like, oh, yeah, one more thing. Whoosh. Drop the the. And I was just like, nah, no, dude, keep the yeah. the. <laughs> so far, I've worked at two breweries. They both had the the. I still I'm, refer to it as the Facebook.com. And that's good. Piss people off. Pro, yeah, protest. Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of people to piss off that, around that's here. That's pretty about sad that. protest, but you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Drop the the. Just Facebook. It's clean. It's clean. 
And now, high power music. The Zuckerberg is shaking his head in disbelief and awe. Best idea ever. No one had ever mentioned that before. Drop the the. Oh, that music gives me anxiety. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> kind of agitating. Yeah. Sorkin didn't write the music for the movie, just the, right, just the screenplay. Yeah. All right. Where are we right now, Scott? Should we do a question before break? No, I, we have too much beer to get to. Let's just do it. Just do the break? Yeah. Okay. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll do beer. And we'll have many questions and beers in our glass. All right. Scott says we have to take a break. We'll Gotta be right it. back on the Sour Hour. Hi, this is Ryan Wheaton, the host of a new podcast called Branding Brews. Branding Brews is a show focused on marketing, branding, and design for the beer industry. I have spent over 14 years as a professional designer. As a host, I bring my knowledge to the show to interview other great beer professionals. Whether you're thinking about starting a brewery, already own a brewery, want to learn more about marketing beer, or you're a seasoned veteran, this show is for you. This show will cover topics such as rebranding a brewery, package and label design, crowdfunding, design, social media, plus much more related to promoting and creating a great beer brand. Make sure to check out the show along with useful show notes at brandingbrews.com. You can also subscribe to the Branding Brews podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Again, check us out at brandingbrews.com. This is a new one too, right? Yeah. We got a new one on the last show. Got, got a few new ones for her. This is good. This is more my my style. I mean, I like all the music you play, but this is like, I feel like I picked this one. Oh, well. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so who's this? This is Beck. Oh, is it? Yeah. Dreams. Wow. New or old Beck? This has got to be new. Newish. Yeah. yeah. New, I don't know, maybe a year or two old? Dreams. Still getting it done. Wow. Dreams is one of the best songs of the last decade it, it i don't know how it was so um under the radar dreams by beck it's fantastic this is great let's do it on a loop yeah, let's just turn it up a little bit it's very good yeah i like it we're back on the beck hour <laughs> beck appreciation that year dj scott <laughs> i want to thank one of our great sponsors the Beck of Homebrew Shops, <laughs> the Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. They just keep bringing it. It's where you're going to order your uh, sour beer and wild yeast. Bacteria from Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast. Most times you're going to ship within 24 hours. And best of all, Scott. Uh, it's really expensive to ship, or <laughs> where are we going with this? Being listeners in the continental U.S. get a flat $8 shipping rate oh, on wait. orders under 50 pounds. That's not expensive at all. No, it's great. No. All you have to do is enter BN Shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. Dot com. All right. Did you pour a beer while I wasn't looking? I did. This is this one here? That's the one. And the brewer of this beer, I believe, is on the line, and his name is Justin Cave. Awesome last name yeah. from uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania. Justin, are you there? Yeah. Hi, guys. I'm here. Hey, Justin. Thanks for joining us, dude. Great to be here. So uh, I think, Scott, you picked uh, what the first beer is. Uh, maybe you can cue up uh, Justin to tell us a little bit about this beer, some background while we're uh, taking our first sips. I will. Just to quickly describe what we have here, uh, we have brown 
500 ml bottles, right? Looks they're, like it. They're like old dogfish bottles. There's blue painter's tape on which the type of beer is written, and they are sealed with green wax. I love the the hilarious juxtaposition of the wax seal <laughs> and the blue painter's tape label. It's great. Justin sent these in a, a little while ago because he was, uh, I forget even how it came up. Justin, did you email and mention a sauerkraut brine, and then you emailed later and were like, I was that guy. I, I refresh my memory. Yeah, I had a question um, about whether or not to age a, a ghost beer that I made using a sauerkraut, Brian. I wasn't sure if I was going to add apricot to it or if I should dry hop it. Yeah, I think, was no, that like on the, in- the Rare Barrel show, I want to say? In, the original one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I think, <laughs> I think I didn't give a very good answer. If I recall, I think I might have said, like, you know, brewer's choice kind of thing. But, and then we expressed how, you know, interested we were in the uh, the sauerkraut component of this so uh so this beer we have right now is the uh coriander the coriander goes. yeah is that right 2.3 percent yeah is that the abv is is that low it's pretty low uh, i unfortunately don't have my notes right here in front of me but uh i want to say i want to say my starting gravity was oh it was like maybe 10 35 at the highest and it finished like 10 18 somewhere in there i mean it's it's not high yeah, that's interesting. That's pretty cool. I don't think that's probably a record low for us here, and I'm happy no, about that so. so I can totally drink the rest of this. But while we're uh, getting our first sips in, maybe you could just walk us through the brew process, the fermentation, or anything that kind of just stuck out. What, what was the background of making this beer? Yeah, um, I kind of have a, a side interest in fermented things, not just beer, but I also like fermented hot sauce. I like sauerkraut. I've made a curried pickle cauliflower before that turned out pretty cool mm. but uh, i was on a, a thread on homebrew talk and there was a, a guy that was making goes beer with sauerkraut brine so i followed it through and i just uh let this guy fool around with a bunch of stuff till it looked like he came up with something that worked once it looked like he had a, a viable experiment i i had some extract stuff laying around so i threw it threw it together and had a batch of sauerkraut that was ready to get canned and so I, I made up a starter and some Pilsner extract. It's not hopped. Put some sauerkraut brine in there, capped it, put it in my attic where it was warm, let it get nice and uh, bubbly. And then I added that to a larger volume of wort that was uh, mostly wheat with light mold extract and more Pilsner extract, all dry extracts. Again, I sat it in the attic for about a week, and it formed this really funky, ugly-looking pellicle and I I did a wine thief sample at the end of that week, and it was tart and citrusy, and I was really excited because it, it was heading someplace that I wanted it to. Brought it downstairs uh, where it was a little bit cooler, added a starter of – here's where things kind of get murky for me. I added a starter of uh, Sapu 5 ale yeast, and then I just let it ride for about two months. And that was the base. That was the base beer that you. That's just a coriander goes there. That's interesting. So you you uh, purposely decided to do kind of a non saccharomyces early fermentation. Did something go into that decision, or was it kind of you referenced, uh, you know, riding on this other guy's coattails, letting it fail, and then you know taking all the glory now? But <laughs> did you learn from yeah, um, uh, kind of what you're reading, or was there a, re- that, a reason for that decision making? It was really just following this thread um and, and a shout out to the guy the thread is called a uh, sauerkraut starter goes on homebrew talk uh, i think the the poster's name is burninator 
Um, so really, he, he gave me a lot of the inspiration to, to follow this experiment through. Um, and really, it's not really knowing what I'm doing that got that got me to what you're drinking right now. Um, no real method. Uh, just trying not to let the beer get into too much uh, contact with air, trying to sparingly take gravity readings. And uh, when it leveled out, that's when I, I made my move to, to bottle and package. Did you do a just a force car bottling, or was there a, a refermentation in the bottle? There's a refermentation in the bottle, table sugar, and and no added yeast, just whatever the culture was that was in there. Yeah, no added, no no further uh, yeast added at all. I gotta say that's uh, you know that's a process where you know I think it's solid. I think quite a few things could go wrong in that process, but I don't think anything did. What are you What are your guys' uh, impressions of this beer? Well, if we take one step back, it would be interesting to know what goes into a sauerkraut starter. That's a good question. Because I've never made one before. I assume it's coming from my job, Scott. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it'd be good to know what went into that uh, sauerkraut starter to begin with. So basically any kind of old fashioned sauerkraut recipe you can find, which is chopped up cabbage with black peppercorns and coriander and kosher salt to taste. You just, uh, you squeeze the life out of out of the cabbage, and you let all the fluid from that come up over top of a plate or a plastic bag, and you let it go for two or three weeks, depending on how sour you want it to get. And uh, what is the active agent in that sauerkraut is um, it's thought to be lactobacillus. From there, you take the plastic bag or, or your plate or whatever you have that that's keeping your cabbage under under the liquid. You take all that stuff off. And what I did was I, I took like a, you know, like a 60 cc syringe, dug that down to the very bottom of my uh, kraut bucket, pulled up as much brine as I could, and I had some dry malt extract, um, pilsner extract that I had um, got to about a 10:30 gravity reading. I just put a 60 cc volume of that brine right into that wort, and then I put an airlock on it swirled it around and let it sit in my attic where it was nice and warm. The sauerkraut gets inoculated just through the air. Or whatever's on the cabbage. Oh, yeah, or whatever's yeah, whatever on the cabbage. cabbage. Gotcha. Cool. No, that's that's fun. I mean, I wonder, it almost reminds me a little bit of, like, um, you know, people use grain to inoculate sure, for yeah. sour beers, but I wonder if, you know, sauerkraut's kind of a similar or even kind of better option for it, because this came out really nice. What do, you, what do you guys, what are your impressions of the, the flavor of the beer? I really enjoy the aroma on this. It's kind of got a tropical aroma, almost like a, uh, I mean, I use the scripter a lot, but I think it's apt for this. As I imagine, a like a white gummy bear would smell. It kind of has that nice tropical, pineapple-y type aroma without, but it's still got some like nice base notes to it as well. It's not all high tone, you know, pure lacto. It's really got a nice rounded, mm-hmm. you know, deep aroma that's quite pleasing. I like it a lot. Yeah, I'm impressed at how much oomph there is in this in this glass mm-hmm. based on the very low alcohol. I would I could imagine this beer being like thin and there's not a whole lot there, but this beer is really it's got firm acidity and like some complexity. I'm also impressed with how well it's hold, held up. I mean, this was bottled on the label here the uh, 5th of September 2016. So we're yeah. coming up on Almost crossing a year as a ten months or so, mm-hmm. um, and I know I never think of um, gozas and shorter turnaround sour beers as beers that age well. 
which maybe that's wrong. I don't know. That's just been my impression, but I'm, I'm impressed at how well it's held up and how it's clean. There's no off flavors in this beer. It's a really enjoyable, complex beer. So I wonder, Jay, like, what do you? What, what are some examples of? You said you could imagine many, many things going wrong with what Justin described. What? What's one thing that comes to mind that might have gone wrong? Well, I think one key part that you know could go wrong is the the starter phase for the for you're basically transitioning whatever is in the sauerkraut culture from that to being in a beer setting now luckily or maybe in some cases in my nightmare scenario unluckily you know you had a full sugar content no hops which is like not that unlike some of the first warts we produced at the rare barrel to try and encourage the bacteria but in those circumstances you're also going to see increased competition from undesirables so that those could be yeast or bacteria but that is somewhere where you know we've tried to grow up different you know no non-yeast cultures so maybe different types of bacteria but no intentional bread added no intentional saccharomyces in the mix and try to prop them up at the brewery and we'll often come in the next day and they're just fermenting at high croissant it's like okay this is that's bad that's that's not what we intended now there's it's possible there's yeast in the uh in the sauerkraut mix that maybe you could have produced a little alcohol and um mm, protected it a little bit yeah. um but whatever happened uh it came out really well i really i really enjoy this beer um i agree with uh lane your comments and scott too yeah. Scott, yeah, the but the body uh, comment especially. I mean, there's you know ten eighteen uh, left in the beer, which is right. uh, not nothing, um, but it's not like you know I, too I wonder, much. Or I anything. wonder if some of that was doing the Saccharomyces fermentation post souring, so low pH, maybe the yeast pooped out. Yeah, we're a little bit stressed and didn't quite finish. But I don't think it hurt the beer. If anything, it it definitely no, that, if that is the case, um, it definitely added body to the beer and doesn't taste sweet or unfermented it definitely tastes fully fermented and great body i don't really have a ph meter but uh the acidity that i was getting just coming out of a week um into this experiment um when i added a saccharomyces strain sometimes i mean in thinking about it i mean it's not a kettle it wasn't a kettle um sour so it, the wort wasn't reboiled or anything like that i wonder if the ph was so low that the other strain of, of brewer's yeast really didn't didn't have a whole lot to do at that point if if it was too acidic for it. Uh, that's that's information I don't know about. Yeah, it could be. I've seen it before. Whether whether it's kettle soured or this kind of maybe what you could call fermenter soured uh, beer. There's a on sour beer blog, which I'll plug fully in a second. But uh, <laughs> there's um, in part of the fast uh, fast souring with lactobacillus article. There's a, a good part of it where it's like you know there's something kind of in between like the kettle sour and one step up from that which is doing the souring in a in a fermenter maybe you let it naturally cool which is i believe kind of what uh you were doing justin or you just cool it down knock out at like 70 or something like that and just let the lacto go at that temperature some strains can can uh, acidify word at that but uh, either way you shake it i mean without the saccharomyces without the hops that's that's uh, uh a risky um but this was well executed. I think the the high finishing gravity, it's not like that high, but could be either due to Saccharomyces primary fermentation in the presence of some acid or the extract. I mean, extract is going to have an unpredictable finishing gravity as opposed to, you know, you get a little more control when you go all grain. I've always thought um, sour beer works really well 
with extract. I think it's kind of a nice compromise that you can make at home the most complicated style of beer with, you know, extract that you buy at wineandhop.com. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, maybe even some of that extra gravity can help you delay some of the carbohydrates for Britannomyces fermentation over a long uh, long period of aging as well. So I, I think it's great. Now, oh, we have the we have the second one poured now too, right? Yeah. Now this one is in the the appearance of the bottle and everything is the same, and it is an, a goes as well. This one is apricot goes though. It looks like it was uh, it was the same day bottling from September of uh, last year, twenty sixteen. Now I have to say, Justin, this beer is so candy, delicious, apricot pie, clean, amazing. I mean, this would be a go to commercial beer for me. I would stock it at the Grenade, and I would buy it. I would want to buy it daily, but I would, you know, stop myself to not be such a glutton, you know. <laughs> but this would be something that I would I would drink regularly. It's really fantastic. Is it the same base? Is it the same like sauerkraut and and, and process? Indeed, it is. How, how did you pick coriander and apricot, and how did you add those to the beer? What I did was uh, the the coriander is something that went into the sauerkraut. So that was those are flavors that are kind of left over in the brine. What I did with the apricot, it, it might be it might be heresy, but it, it turned out pretty good. But I actually used a, a flavoring from Brewer's Best, uh, and what I did was at the time of bottling, when I went to package, I took a small amount in a cup and I slowly would dose with a with an eyedropper and try to try to try to evaluate like how sweet was too sweet, how little was too little and try to balance out how much to actually put in when I flavored. Um, Because I really wanted to balance the sweetness from the apricot with the other flavors. I didn't want anything to to be overpowering anything else that the base was offering. Uh, And so what I did was I found the right balance, and then I just put that on a ratio and stepped it up, and that's that's how I got uh, what you have in your hands right now. Gotcha. Yeah, I I, I also... uh... I, I agree with Scott's take. I, I like this beer. There's a candy sweetness to it. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I'll say, and this is really not, it's even less than splitting hairs. It's just like so nitpicky. I do catch a whiff of what I would assign isovaleric, like a isovaleric smell to. On the nose. So yeah. like a little cheese, but I mean, it is, it's quite faint for, for my threshold. Yeah, I was picking that up as well. Okay. Yeah. And not enough to kind of bother me with the beer but enough to kind of you know in this kind of evaluation setting to notice so I, i'd be curious to see if that uh that's something that should not should sometimes cleans up with uh with the presence of Britannomyces. so I, I would be curious to see if that goes away goes uh away with <laughs> agent thank you nice, nice. <laughs> but uh how, how much of these beers do you have left you have the last of it Oh, and it's been, it's been sitting in the fridge yeah, thank for, you. for months, so it doesn't surprise me that there's none left. And that I doesn't also, surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it should surprise you that it's still here for you to enjoy. Yeah. You know, I could have drank this a long time also, ago. It's all very shocking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I wonder, like, you know, how much more time? I mean, this beer is, you know, coming up on a year old, two years. I mean, I know you can't, you don't know for sure, but w- when would you guess it would start to go away? I'll just speak from professional experience. We've had beers at the Rare Barrel that slowly... It started to go away, and some barrels just it never went away. So, but that's assuming there's Britannomyces in it, which yeah, 
um, that, so, so, so ours there there was right. um, obviously, but um, even then, you know, so I put it at, and I'm, this is completely made up, but at best a fifty fifty shot. So it is one of the off layers that can go away, but also a lot of people don't uh, bring it up that much and perceive it. I'm not, you know, that's definitely a statement more geared towards home brewers than professional brewers because you know at home, at least my personal threshold is, do you like to drink it mm-hmm. and doesn't doesn't mean like oh you're drinking this you know in air quotes bad beer or anything it's just like once you have to make a beer commercially you have to worry okay a thousand people are going to drink this how many of those people will like be offended like are like crazy about isovaleric or something like that so there's it's not like i don't want to down like just i don't know what the right word is like dismiss dismiss or like uh put down like homebrewers like oh you know don't worry about it you're you're just, just a homebrewer or something yeah. like that no that's not the case at all but it's like there's not the same i guess crazy standard it should be should be fun and, and if like you said scott you know if you had this beer around you'd be crushing it i would i actually wish i would have drank it months ago yeah <laughs> I made a huge mistake <laughs> saving it for you idiots <laughs> yeah i really bottle. like it too um <laughs> but yeah justin thanks so much for uh sending these couple of beers this is great stuff hopefully uh some of the listeners out there and the you know pro brewers or home brewers will uh take some of this advice on incorporating sauerkraut into beer and uh and make some good stuff i think we're gonna maybe try and get to a question or two. can you stay on for some questions yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Questions, Scott. Yes, sir. Are brought to us by uh-huh. sourbeerblog.com. I know yes, I mentioned are. them, but I got to give them the full due. The longest running sponsor. The longest running sponsor? This yeah. is plural. First so. first uh, ever sponsor. Of the Sour Hour. And now they're opening a sour and farmhouse focused brewery in central Pennsylvania. Justin, are they going to be close to you at all? Where are you in Pennsylvania? As a matter of fact, I think they are going to be uh, right across the river, right across from uh, Harrisburg, our glorious capital here in Pennsylvania. In the Susquehanna Valley. That's exciting. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, you all you have to go by and help help them get started. You can join the Founders Club, which includes oh, I forgot to ask about one of these things. Eight exclusive bottles of club only aged and blended sour beer, early access to all of their public bottle releases, a hooded sweatshirt, known by a hoodie to most, <laughs> a pair of tasting glasses, club growler, and the infamous metal challenge coin. Uh-huh. Maybe I'll just never ask about it. Maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the play here. Not to mention discounts and much more. To learn more and join the Founders Club, check out Mellow Mink Brewing. That's the name of uh, Dr. Lambic's upcoming brewery, MellowMink.com, Mellow Mink Brewing. There you go. So Dr. Lambic and Mellow Mink are bringing you this question from Jeremy Springle, who says, Hey, Moscow and Jay, first-time writer, Long-time listener, love the show, and it's the best BN show on offer. Thanks, Jeremy. I have started brewing sour beers and would like to know how you decide what base to use for what beers and fruit re-fermentations. So, for example, how did Brewery Taru decide to use a wit base for the Raspberry Imperial Sour? Um, and the follow-up is, how the hell can I get some rare barrel and brewery to rue beers in Maryland? So I figure since we have an apricot goes, get your guys' sort of overall view of... How you choose, like, this base for this fruit re-fermentation. Like, what's the process? Yeah, Justin, why don't, why don't you start with some of your thoughts? We'll go to Lane, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. All right. Um, man, fruit re-fermentations. I have a couple things that I'm working on right now that, you know, I'm not going to be able to really speak to it until maybe end of the summer. I have a Lambic uh, grain bill that I have some bread action going on with. 
and then I, I rack that on top of some mangoes, uh, really ripe mangoes. There's a farmer's market close by here, and they were selling mangoes for 50 cents a piece, and they were absolutely amazingly perfect. But I'm not going to be able to touch that. From what I understand, I, I've been reading Michael Tanzmuir's book. He said some of these guys are putting their beer right on top of ripe fruit, and that way it's just letting the bacteria work with what is is there with the fruit and and letting those organisms kind of shine through and be the dominant kid on the playground that's that's doing all the work uh, but they say that you should probably let beer sit on top of fruit for about two months i think at least is what uh, tansmer was recommending so did you maybe this the mango part was kind of a you know a crime of opportunity more than anything did you you didn't plan uh, brewing the the base beer for this specific fruit, or, or or did you just brew it as, hey, I'd like to fruit this, so I want to make kind of a not middle of the road, but a, a versatile versatile wort and in initial fermentation. It was kind of a happy accident. I was hoping to go for a like a hopped Belgian ale, and and actually I had a Brett infection happen, and it it really started to go in great places. And uh, after the pelicle fell out, and the gravity was pretty much the same. Um, that's when I started thinking about, well, what am I going to do next with this stuff? Am I going to, um, am I going to package it? Am I going to watch it for longer, or am I? Maybe I should do something different here with this. And and that's when I happened to be at this farmers market and came across these mangoes. Thought I'd give it a shot. Nice. You did have a good base started, and you were kind of just looking for the opportunity to to do something different with it. Lane, how about what about you? What's your approach? Um, yeah, so I haven't had enough experience to try multiple bases with the same fruit to see how the fruit re- fermentation changes based on the grain bill or the the base. So so far, I've just matched color to color. I've you know two brown slash red sour beers, and I've done a raspberry and a cherry, and then I have a uh, golden apricot that's in the fermenter right now. Obviously, that's you know, not a good rule of thumb because there's no basis behind that. But I think that it's, it's kind of one of those things that you need to be able to have the experience and, you know, brew multiple grain bills, put the same fruit in there and see how it turns out. You know, from starting from a recipe formulation, I haven't necessarily thought too much about grain bill and fruit refermentation thus far in terms of making deliberate decisions about your grain bill, d- depending on what fruit you're going to put in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm. I'm a little mixed on, uh, I can give a clear answer on this, but my advice may be different. So uh, at the Rare Barrel, we're quite obsessed with with this process, matching not only the base wort, but also the primary fermentation with subsequent fruits or even other, other ingredients. The way we go about that is to make a wide variety. Uh, we, do a, we really go wide with... Uh, primary fermentation, secondary inoculations, but we really only have four, five, four or five main warts, and those are sort of just uh, adopted off of um, a pale, which we don't brew that often, although we just did. That's sort of adapted from a Berliner-style recipe. We have a a gold, which is sort of adopted from a Lambic-style recipe, and this is just malt, so just the grist, so no... You know, for our boils or anything. It's not uh, connoting any any other parts of the process except for the grain bill. So gold, lambic, red, Flanders red, dark, oud bruin. And we kind of, we changed it up a little bit to, for uh, our tastes, but seemingly if we made kind of all the classic styles of sour beer in, in our own way, we'd have a versatile enough stock to 
do anything with, basically. Um, we do find that making quite a bit more of the gold is a good idea because it's more versatile to go with uh, more fruits. But when it comes to the fermentation level of our manipulations and experimentations, we have no idea. Like, I think you can somewhat predict what malts are going to be like. Fermentation characteristics are really variable. So you can have some idea, but even when you try to recreate something, it's not always the same. So what we do, our approach, is to go through this process, kind of have four to five main recipes, then ferment them in all sorts of different ways, put them in different types of barrels, put different inoculations, times, amounts, and then see what comes out the other side. And at that point, take stock, taste the beer, and decide, what is this good for? And that's great and sounds good, and it's a research project, and we love it. I don't recommend it. <laughs> for everyone it's just uh especially at home i mean we have a thousand oak barrels in our cellar and we we use that almost as an excuse to do this big experimental project if you're doing anywhere between one and six sour beer brew days per year or something like that don't do that that's (laughs) because you're not going to get enough reps to learn anything i mean go ahead and do it and do whatever you want but What I would focus on is cultivating your house culture, learning more about what makes your house culture, what makes the best beer with that culture. And then you can, at that point, take stock and say, or just do, you know, just stick to gold because that's the most versatile, easiest thing, develop a house culture, get a good gold recipe you like, and then try a whole bunch of different fruits with it. Fruits go great with sour beer, you know, fruit and sour beer is a perfect match and it just really works across the board what i'm talking about what we're doing at the rare barrel is trying to go from hey this works and works well to what's the best thing we can possibly do or how do we try to maximize all of our tools and processes and theories about fermentation to make what you know the perfect apricot beer plenty of bases will make a great apricot beer and then we've talked about this before on the show but strategies in picking fruit if you if you really want advice on that although I feel like people go their own way and go to farmer's markets and get right 50 cent mangoes. And that's a great way to go about it to start with apricot and raspberries, <laughs> Yeah, you know, just, exactly. just do it. And those taste good. They go well with sour beer and it's super easy. Stone fruit. Yep. Can't go wrong. Yeah. That's all I got on that. Should we go for right. one more? Or is it break time? Uh, it's break time. Uh, thank you, Jeremy, for the question. And just Je- quick, he said, well, how can I get some Rare Barrel and Brewery Taru beers in Maryland? Make a friend in California. Go to rarebarrel.com and have them ship beers here for Or the rarebarrel.com. Or the rarebarrel.com. Don't <laughs> drop the the. <laughs> and then Brewery Taru in Maryland? I don't know. At, bre- at Brewery's current pace, it's only a matter of time, I think. Maybe. Info at the brewery.com. There you go. Uh, all right. So thanks for the question, <laughs> I think Jeremy. Still. Uh, and Justin, thanks, dude, for sending in these beers. Sorry it took me so long to get to them, dude, but we really appreciate your uh, generosity in sharing them with us, and we'll look forward to your uh, future experiments. Great. I'll keep you guys posted. Thanks a lot. Of course, dude. Thanks so much, Justin. Cheers, dude. Really appreciate it. Sure. Awesome beers. Good stuff. We got more, more awesome beers coming up. We may even start in on Lane's beers. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe. We'll, so. we'll find out next. On the Sour Hour. 
Marin Brewing Company in Northern California has been making award-winning beers for more than 25 freaking years. Today, I want to tell you about their new 12-ounce cans of Mount Tam Pale Ale. The good stuff, Mount Tam is bright gold. 5.5% ABV to keep you feeling good and has been winning awards since 1989. If you're visiting the Bay Area, get your butt out to Marin Brewing Company. They pour tasty beers and serve great food every day until midnight. Come in for a tour, stay for the food, and pick up a six-pack of cans of Mount Camp Pale Ale to enjoy at home, camping, biking, or whatever the hell you do. Owner Brandon Moylan has this to say about Marin Brewing Beers. It's freaking awesome. Marin Brewing has won more than 100 gold medals in international competitions. Check out MarinBrewing.com for all their award-winning beers, food, and merch. Marin Brewing Company in Larkspur, California. Award-winning taste, refreshing finish. It's freaking awesome. This is Mike Tonsmeyer, the Mad Fermentationist. You're listening to The Sour Hour on The Brewing Network. All right, we're back. Listener beer and Q&A show. Having a great time here. A lot of interesting beers. Speaking of interesting beers, you know who's got them? Who? The Chamonix Creek. Yeah, they do. Speaking of Pennsylvania beer... Big Pennsylvania contingency today. No kidding. They've been on the Philly Beer map since 2012. Three-time Philly Beer Scene Magazine Brewer of the Year. Two-time GABF Vienna Style Lager Medal winner. We got. Can we get some of that? Yeah, Jeremy from Nishimini, please. No, am I screwing that up again? Nishimini. Jeez, what is wrong Nishimini, with me? Yeah. I don't know why I'm so stuck on Nishimini for. Maybe it's June. Yeah, in the Cricket. last episode. Uh, episode. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all join in. All on right, that. I, had, I had some burn on you over there, but I can't say it because I just messed that up. Uh, also, a bronze for the smoked lager in 2016 as well. They've got a recently renovated tap room, 24 beers on tap, 18 rotating seasonal limited beers. They got everything: hoppy double IPAs, sessionable and poundable lagers, to oak fermented saisons and sour beers. Uh, learn more: NishaminiCreekBrewing.com. Also. Since I'm a little behind. Oregon Fruit Products. Aseptic purees. Love these guys. They're easy to use, convenient to store. No additives or artificial flavors. So their apricot is apricot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, It's simply great expression of the raw fruit. They love working with brewers. That's true. To help us innovate. Check them out at fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon Fruit. They bring fruit to life. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now we're on the Lane's beer, I think. All right. Yeah. We have uh, Lane's, uh, he brought a couple things. I think uh, you know, we got a, a show break coming up, so we're going to get to one of them now and then one of them at the beginning of the next show. But this is a, uh, well, you're here. Why don't you tell yeah, us what it sure. is? Sure, thanks. <laughs> yeah, so. Actually, Lane, why don't you let me do it? I'll sure, take, actually, I'll take this one, Scott, please. <laughs> That's fine. I'll just sit back. Um, so, yeah, this is my second sour beer that I've made. And when I was on the show last time, we tasted a sample of this. Um, no fruit refermentation. It was probably only four months old at the time. And that was a year ago? That, that was a year ago. So that's this beer finished. Brown sour or brown base um, added a pound and a half of organic raspberries for the fruit refermentation. And a lot of that was driven by your input, uh, Jay, when we were tasting it last time. 
um, talked about the acidity being like a nice lemon characteristic, you know, nice and clean. I was like, oh, you know, I mean, raspberry can go with, you know, a lot of different sour beer. But I was like, oh, raspberry lemonade is great. So I went with the raspberries. Didn't, you know, do a high ratio of fruit to beer. Uh, it was only a five-gallon carboy, a pound and a half of organic raspberries from the farmer's market. Didn't wash them straight in there. Or I pureed them in the blender, went straight in. Got a good, solid refermentation. And that was in July of last year. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I tasted it. I was happy with where it was at. I felt like it was finishing a little bit short and the mouthfeel was a little bit thin. So I put some oak in it. I put an ounce and a half of medium toast French oak in it. I think the oak came through a little bit stronger than I was expecting. Um, I definitely get a lot of oak on the finish, but I definitely think it helps with the mouthfeel and adds to the complexity of the finish and gives a little tannin backbone that lets the finish kind of drag out for a long time. So probably some of the seeds from the raspberry and some of that oak, I think, definitely adds some structure and mouthfeel and tannin to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, darker beers with raspberry because I think even with some of the malt, uh, you can get some some tannin that I, I like the raspberry seed tannin. You know, yeah, I think that's, sure. that's kind of a forgotten part right. of the raspberry experience. I mean, we make a, a black sour with raspberries at the rare barrel, and that's kind of why we do that. Yeah, and then for the fermentation, um, I did... About three days of a clean fermentation with White Labs 530, the Abbey Ale yeast. And then I inoculated with the culture from my previous beer that I had kept in the fridge just in a mason jar with some beer on top of it. Inoculated with that. And then a fresh pitch of a couple yeast-based strains, the amalgamation, Brett strain, and then the uh, melange, which is their, you know, they got five lacto strains and you know or you know one lacto five brett sack and some pdo so a fresh pitch of each of those as well nice first of all that's i like this beer a lot one question i was curious about the oaks i you know you said maybe it comes on a little too strong i'd like to dive into that a little bit what was the and forgive me if you said this before but i was drinking more of the beer and thinking about this <laughs> what was the contact time for the oak let's see that was i put it in in september and I kegged in January, so four okay. months. Gotcha. And I was I tasted a couple times along the way, and I felt like the oak came on strong pretty quickly, and then it kind of stayed at that steady state. So I, I left it in there up until kegging. I feel like I got most of the oak character that I wanted out of it within the first month, and yeah. then after that, it kind of just stayed at where it was. I think that's how it goes with oak, um, even even in kind of more fresh oak barrels you get the the big spike in the first mm, one to three weeks sure maybe and then maybe for cubes or you see you said it was cubes yeah uh cubes or chips or spirals whatever you're going to use um sticks it'll be maybe even faster depending on this surface to to beer ratio sure if you were to do it again would you leave the oak chips in there at the same time would you take them out sooner or add more or add more um i definitely wouldn't add more i could see taking a little bit away but i kind of i don't think that the oak characteristic is overly aggressive or off-putting i think it actually is pretty well integrated but it's there i I definitely don't think it's um you know something that you can necessarily ignore so yeah i I think i would probably keep it about the same or pull it back a little bit if i want it to be more fruit forward and maybe go for a higher ratio of fruit to to beer i think a lot some of the raspberry has fallen out um it's definitely not 
overly, you know, punch you in the face raspberry on the aroma it might be, but I think on the palate it's it's definitely pretty mild. But I, I don't mind that. I think, you know, making a balanced beer that, you know, if you tell, if you give this someone, don't say that it was re-fermented with raspberries, they might not be able to pull it out. But I also think that's okay if it's well-balanced. Yeah, I would agree. Wh- which, again, I mean, this is a single vessel like all of my sour beers have been. So I haven't been able to blend, and I've been happy with how they've come out, you know, just coming out of one vessel. Mm-hmm. Scott, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think it's very, very oaky. Maybe a little bit too much for my palate, but it it does work with this base and with the raspberry character. I think I might have mistaken it for cherry if I didn't know Mm, and I was asked to pick which fruit I think I I would guess cherry. Maybe it's just because my palate has like an association with the oak and sort of medium bodied like this this kind of grain bill mixed with oak (laughs) equals cherry, you know? Yeah. I think it's well done. I think there is no... I don't really get off flavors. I maybe get a little bit of the... Is it THB? THP? THP, which maybe I think I've become overly sensitive to. Like the Cheerio graininess? Yeah, yeah. 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 That that was on my last beer, too. I think that's something... I don't know if that's a process. What causes... I'm actually not sure what causes that. Well, first off, am I even right? Do you get it, too? On the finish? Slight. I should say, uh, on on the process, under investigation, and on the identification... Under investigation, <laughs> okay. both both I would say are true. There's a lot of interesting leads on on both those fronts, but there's there's wide variability on both the theories that say, you know, this is malt based, this is fermentation based, this is linked oxygen, this is linked to processes that introduce more oxygen, or even in flavor that it varies wildly between the tasters. Has something to do with pH of your saliva. I've heard that too. <laughs> um, Makes sense. I still haven't done the. The spit pH testing at the rare barrel. I've been meaning to just get all the employees to spit nuke up and <laughs> test the pHs and see if they're correlated to uh, THP perception. If you get um, an eye dip in your mouth, you can maybe use that. Thank you for queuing me up. Let's do it. <laughs> I need to talk about the eye dip. So it, I was worried about when I was going to squeeze that in. There you go. It's a home work. I'm just going to pl- plop go it in here and then it. I'll come back. Homer commercial use uh, water testing kit. Or saliva testing kit. Do you have my kit? back here or what? Do, you, do, I, do I have to? I feel like with that that's run its course. Has it? I yeah. love it. Then I hand up. I'll just I'll do it on no, the pillow. Right, no, no, no. It's right. run its course. Uh, <laughs> it incorporates a revolutionary photometer. 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 Which is the first and only on the market with its own app. The iDiv can perform over 40 water quality tests for things like chloride, calcium hardness, pH, sulfate, and much more. Maybe you can put it on your spit. Uh, podcast listeners share enter code TBN10 at checkout and save $10 on either the standard or advanced smart brew testing kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process. Visit us, them. <laughs> Doesn't say either of those things. www.smartbrewkit.com. Okay. So anyway, the uh, pH of your of your, uh, just, any individual palate could, could affect could, what you're, could what be, you're perceiving. It could be a part of it. Again, this is like I'm not stating this as fact. It's it's part of the kind of ongoing speculation. I I feel iffy sometimes about putting kind of speculative inf- information out there, but uh, when it's it's more like a call to arms. Everyone should be on the lookout for this. Everyone should know what it is. It is rampant in sour beers. Yeah. Rampant. And I'm present company included. Like, it's, we struggle with, uh, you know, extending our bottle aging process to make sure every last little bit of it is gone. It's really frustrating. 
and we're also we're also you know trying new things all the time to make sure it doesn't come back. But getting back to this beer, yeah, I, I don't perceive it. Okay, just, just from my taste, it doesn't mean it's not there. You, well, and it because I think it's there doesn't mean it is. I think I've become overly sensitized to it because it, it is prevalent mm-hmm. in many sour beers these days. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, I, I should just say while we're talking about it, to me the defining characteristic of this off flavor is the timing of its introduction, which is you can smell a beer. And again, this is for up, right. up for a little debate as well. But this is my percep- my perception, my knowledge of it. You can smell it; doesn't smell any different. You can taste a sour beer; doesn't taste any different. And then a second goes by, maybe two, and you're kind of having the you know you're exhaling. That breath comes over your palate, mm-hmm. or you're doing like the retro nasal thing, where that's like you know going in through your mouth, out through your nose, just. Your breath is kind of like wafting over your sensory nodes or whatever, buds or whatever receptors. they are. Yeah. Uh, thank you, receptors. And then you're like, oh. Oh, what? What? Oh, that's. Do I have bad breath all of a sudden? Or is like Some people describe it as Cheerios. Um, I get this really weird, like, I just instantly got bad breath for some reason kind yeah. of sensation. And But so to me, the unique aspect and maybe the most misunderstood aspect of this beer is how late it presents. Right. There's a time aspect to this off flavor, which is, to me, totally fascinating and also totally unique to a lot of the off, beer, off flavors we talk about in beer. It's like, what other thing is characterized by the time it presents itself? You know, we talk a lot about, oh, up front right. on the palate, oh, it's on the back end, oh, it's well. This is like seconds later after yeah. you're like, oh, I really like this beer. Oh, oh. Right. Which would make you think that there's something going on, whether it's reacting, yeah, with your saliva or with, you know, enzymes in your body that's causing it. So it would more be like a precursor that exists in the beer if this is the case. And yeah. then it would, you know, create itself. Yeah. Just be like, hey, man, it's not the beer's problem. It's your problem. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> totally. That sounds like a you your issue. pH is too low. <laughs> um, well, I, it's not. You're right that it's not really present in this beer now that I've, I've taken more sips of it. And I I don't even yeah, know don't why. Just, man, don't I, just fold like that. Well, well yeah, it's okay. Well, it's, I, I thought I did, but now You could I'm be right. What if your pH is the right pH and mine's, <laughs> yeah. you know, too high or low, whatever, you know? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to, it's important to, you know, to be honest and talk about flaws, but yeah. I, also, I don't want to find flaws that aren't there. I mean, this is a good beer. I don't, I guess I was looking for an off flavor so we can troubleshoot something, but maybe. <laughs> sure, maybe no, I really, really like there. this beer a yeah. lot. I think how it presented to me at first was more than any, like, oh, this specific aromatic or the specific flavor. What it did was remind me of breweries beers, and the breweries that came to mind were somewhere between like Russian mm-hmm. River and Roadblock. Yeah, I th- that's exactly right. That's dead on. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's supplication and Roadblock. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's a great place to be, right? Yeah, you know, I'm not, it's like, gonna, yeah, yeah. That's. But then I kind of tried to break it out. All right, so why is it like that? Malt. I think is a huge part of that. I think the malt bell is excellent. I, th- I get caramel and chocolate, which I want yeah. from a dark recipe. Almost mistaking raspberries, and especially at that volume, you know, uh, pound to gallon ratio of um, raspberries that you uh, explained, 1.5 no. and 5, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially at that, the cherry presentation there makes me think that the residual malt character and malt sweetness, not that it's like too sweet of a beer, it's really well balanced, that connects with the raspberry and makes it more of like a cherry perception even like the actual act of like eating a cherry it's got that like almost like there's some mouthfeel there's some 
like slight stickiness, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, where raspberries maybe like sharper, cleaner. So I, I think very well executed and a really nice beer. Thanks, appreciate it. Do we have more more of your beers? We do, yeah. Yeah, we well we have a sample. So well, this is a fermenter sample of the Golden Apricot. Okay, you cool. brought that last time too, right? You had a, a, a tube of beer. Or am I making yeah, so that? Yeah, that's up? the beer that one. we're drinking right now. Right. I just I really like the tube. I do too. Yeah, so it's a sample and a little uh, white labs vial. White labs vial. Uh, the yeast bay bottle. Oh, yeast bay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I'm obviously white labs packages for them. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now I want to try the next beer too. Are we up at uh, up against Showbreaker? This is Nick and Pelletieri with the yeast bay, and you're listening to the Sour <laughs> Hour on the Brew Network with Jay Goodwin. Oh, sorry. Just Nick had to interrupt us real quick. Uh, no, does. I think we we are. That's another guy's coming from my job. Great <laughs> radio voice. Yeah, he does have a good one. This is Nick and Pelletieri with the yeast bay. Yeah, it's got just the the right uh, sort of bass booming quality and uh, good elocution. He knows his stuff, too. Is he local? Local? Yeah. 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 You're less and less available these days. Uh, <laughs> 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 what are you talking about? I, I wanted to do the show so bad I moved it up a week. And That's true. Scott. Totally. <laughs> All right. All right. So no questions is what you're implying by Yeah, we were over time, and we got questions. We'll do questions in the next show, and we got more beers to get to, and et cetera. Yeah. All right. Well, big thanks to uh, the listeners and to you, Lane, for being in here and uh, rescheduling. Big thanks to the sponsors. Thanks to you, Scott. Appreciate it. Thanks to Bevo for getting that live stream set up. Yeah, thanks, Bevo. Until next time, stay sour. Drop the the.